We live in crazy days, don't we? It's been a crazy month. As you look along the landscape of what's happened since July the 4th, you look at what's happened on the scene in our nation just this past week in France and in Turkey. All around the world, it seems like there is a growing unease and a lack of rest. And in these days, it would be so easy for us to listen to the fear mongers that continually speak across the airwaves, to watch the scrolling line at the bottom of our television, seeing one bad news reported after the next bad news. It would be so easy for us to fall prey to the bad news. But in reality, as followers of Jesus, we're not simply people who are acted upon by this world. We are not merely uh, petals of flowers flowing in the, 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 the wind as the wind blows here and the wind blows there. We're simply uh, inanimate objects to be drifting along on the waves and the currents of the, of the wind. But rather, God has given us an urgency and a power to live in this day, in this time, victoriously. Not passively, but intentionally. It is time for the church, it is time for you and for me to wake up. To stop living as though the world is acting on us and we have nothing to do and nothing to say. It's time for the church for you and for me to wake up. As we look at Romans chapter 13, we've been looking at the role of the gospel and how it influences us to relate to the government. We've seen how the gospel calls us to relate to those around us. Today, I want us to see in verses 11 through 14 how that the gospel calls us to live as if each day on this earth were our last day on this earth. The gospel calls us to be intentional and active as if these were our last 24 hours to live before Jesus returns. And that's not sitting in our easy chair waiting for something to happen to us But rather, as Paul makes clear, it is us standing up and being the people that God has saved us to be. I'm concerned. I'm concerned with a church that is so consumed with consumerism. What's in it for me? What are you doing for me? How does this affect me? That we've lost the urgency To be actors, not simple, passive recipients. We live in this setting, and we say this is the setting of a follower of Jesus where we sit and receive. 
And that's all we're looking for. And yet God in his word, by the power of his spirit, is calling you and me not merely to sit and soak, but to stand up and serve him. Today is the day for us to stop living as though everything around us was greater than what is within us. We have the very Spirit of God clothing us as followers of Jesus. And we have a mission to fulfill on this earth. And as we read what Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, we see, we hear, we feel the urgency of this moment. Listen to what Paul writes. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. He says, and do this knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of our sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Jesus is standing on the edge of heaven waiting for Gabriel to blow the trumpet, announcing his return. He is urgent. He is ready. Are we? Are we, his people, listening for the faint sound of that trumpet blowing, announcing his return? Are we living with an urgency that Jesus could split the heavens wide open right now? And we should be ready. We should be ready. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 13. He's spent a lot of time in Romans 12 and 13 talking about how that we then should live in this world. He began in chapter 12, verse 1. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed any longer to the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Those are action words, not passive words. Those are words calling us, stirring us up to act. And now as he concludes this section In Romans chapter 13, having just told us how that we are to relate to the world around us, that we are to love our neighbor as ourself, not doing harm to our neighbor, but loving them passionately, fervently, purposefully. And now in verse 11, he says, and do this. Do what? What are we to do? How are we to live when the world around us seems so crazy and scary and frightening? What are we to do? 
What are we to do in light of Christ's soon return? What are we to do in the midst of a culture that is decaying with moral depravity? What are we to do? What are we to do in the face of our own fears and our own sin and our own struggles? What are we to do? Paul says, and do this, knowing the time, that it is high time to awake out of our sleep. What are we to do? We're to wake up. Now is the time. Now is the time to wake up to loving others and do this. If you look just the verse previous, do what? Love. Friends, if there is a weapon in our arsenal that God in heaven has given us as his followers, that weapon is not merely our loud bravado about moral certitudes, but rather it is a loud declaration that God has loved me and God loves you and I'm called to love you as God has loved me. Today, we are called to stand up and love and do this, knowing the time. What time is it? It's time to wake up. What time is it? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. What time is it? Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. What time is it? Jesus is coming. And we need to be ready. And how shall he find us? Loving others. Loving others. Now guys, listen. I know that there are a lot of things that occupy my time and my day. And I'm certain that you have a lot of things that occupy your time and your day. But sitting and soaking up Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. And sitting there and becoming a puddle of fear or Anger or hatred or, 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 or bitterness is not the way followers of Jesus are supposed to behave. We are not called simply to sit and soak the recent news uh, bites that come across our screen, but rather we are called to spend time with Jesus so that we get out of our shell, beyond our cocoon. And start loving people the way God has loved us. Stop living in icy isolation from the world at large. Stop living as though they're ferocious and we're feeble. And start living with the power of God's love pulsing through us. Showing people who God is. How great He is. How good He is. How loving He is. It's time for us to stand up. To stop playing these silly, silly, silly church games where we sit around and we bemoan this fact or that fact, this event or that event. We're playing games at the foot of Christ's cross rather than standing up and serving the one who died for us and rose again to give us life. We need to be urgent, diligent, fervent in our love. Let's make no mistake about it. When Paul said our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, he was living as though Jesus was coming right then. 
The night is far spent. The day is at hand. He was living as though Jesus were coming right then. And that is the call for you and for me. That if this moment were my last moment, what would God find me doing? He must find us loving others as he has loved us. Today, I, I, I understand. I understand that there are a lot of things that can vie for our attention and our affections. That can consume us with doubt and fear. But one of the great ways to conquer our fear is to have something solid, real, purposeful to do. You want to know what you're supposed to do in this moment that will lead you on a path of being ready for Christ's return? You want to know what you can do in this moment to prepare you even for an onslaught of culture wars and and, 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 uh, and difficulties that, that uh, others might try to throw at us. You want to know what you can do? Stand up and love somebody. It's time for us to stop playing these silly games. The day is too urgent for that. You know, people, people get... Get, get so wrapped around the axle in the church about so many different things. And people get frustrated with me sometimes. I know it's hard to imagine anybody would get frustrated with me. But people get frustrated with me sometimes. They get frustrated because the urgency of their soul doesn't automatically translate into the urgency of my actions. You know what I'm saying? It's like when my daughter calls me and says, Daddy, we need to talk. When my daughter calls me and says, Daddy, we need to talk, she's got something urgent in her heart. Usually it has to do with uh, what she's going to do that evening. Sometimes it has to do with who's going to put gas in her car. Occasionally it has to do with something to do with uh, boys. My, wife, my, my daughters will call me and, Daddy, we need to talk, and I'll listen. And I'll listen intently, but just because it's urgent for them doesn't make it automatically urgent for me. You want to know why? Because I've got a bigger picture than they do. What they're going to eat for dinner tonight is probably not the most important thing I've got going on in my mind about them and about life. The same thing's true in the church. So often, you'll call me and say, Pastor, we need to talk. We need to talk. There's something urgent going on. And I'm not diminishing the urgency that you feel, but please understand, as pastor of this church, I'm called to a higher, more profound urgency than what the color of the carpet is. I'm called to a higher and more profound urgency than where they're putting cones outside on the parking lot. 
I'm called to a higher and more profound urgency, and I'm supposed to lead you toward that urgency. And that urgency has described in this passage, it is high time, literally in the Greek, now is the hour. It is high time already for us to awake out of our sleep, to stop slumbering around in fake urgencies and really take on what is urgent to the Lord, and that is to love others as he has loved us. The gospel that has saved us demands that we love others. Are you ready for Christ's return? Are you making this your urgent desire? Now is the time to love. Why? The night's far spent. The night being this age, the the day of uh, in between Christ's resurrection and Christ's return. The, The night has been far spent. The day is at hand. What's the day? The day is the day of Christ splitting heaven wide open and coming and bringing us to himself in glory. The day is at hand and we must love others as if this were our last chance to love them on this earth. Now is the time to love. Paul goes on. Not only is now the time to love, but now is the time to kill our sin. Paul calls us not merely to love others, but he also says that the gospel demands, knowing that the the day is here, already upon us, knowing that Jesus could come in an instant. We need to kill the sin that besets us so often. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Today, we need to be diligent, purposeful, intentional in killing the sin in our soul, of smothering it to death. In verse 14, Paul says, and give no provision for the flesh to fulfill in its lusts. To give no provision literally means we're going to smother our sin. We're not going to give it any room to move in our life. He even lists some sins for us in verse 13. He says, let us walk properly as in the day. Now here's the list of sins, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. This isn't the end of all the sins that need to be killed in our life. But these are representatives of the sins that need to be killed. The first two pairs, you see there are three pairs of sins listed here. Drunkenness and revelries. That's the first pair. The second pair, lewdness and lust. I don't think I need to describe those. But those are sins that need to be destroyed. Whether they're sins only happening in our mind or sins in our activity, they need to be destroyed. They need to be killed. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
He says, don't present the members of your body as instruments to sin. But present your bodies as instruments to God for his righteousness to live out through you. Today, we need to be more intentional in killing the sin in our life. Can I get very practical here? Jesus could be coming any moment. And when we look at our lives and we allow the Spirit of God to pierce to the depths of our soul, we need to invite Him to regularly, consistently, persistently unveil for us the sin in our life that is consuming us. Those first two pairs of sins are the Vegas lifestyle type sins. Y'all know the ones that we as a church, a Southern Baptist church, we rail against those sins. Right? I mean, we do and we should. That's not a bad thing. It's not condemning us as, as, as followers of Jesus or as Southern Baptists. We need to speak out against lewdness and lust and revelries and drunkenness. We need to say that sin. But that last pair of sin, I want us to just kind of sit on that one for a second. See, here's the thing. As, as followers of Jesus, we're quick to rail against the sins that are um, unacceptable in our church culture. But we act as if that last pair of sin are no big deal. That last pair talking about how we get in fights with one another. How we create conflict with each other. How we backbite each other. How we diminish each other in the church. All three pairs should be railed against in the church. Not just those sins that we don't have a problem with, but the sins that we do have a problem with. Friends, what is the sin in your life that needs to be killed today? What is it? Don't cut yourself any slack in identifying that sin or those sins. But understand what they are. The only way you can smother the sin is if you see the sin that needs to be smothered. The Spirit of God is ready to equip you and help you today to kill the sin. But it is now that you must kill it. Not sometime later. Not after you've enjoyed the pleasure, the fleeting pleasure of that sin. But now is the time. Killing sin is a daily decision that begins early. And if you're doing Twitter, that would be a good tweet. Wrong crowd. (laughs) Killing sin... It's a daily decision that needs to begin early. You and I, we need to wake up in the morning understanding the sin that will beset us and killing it before it gets started. Putting out the fire before the fire begins to burn. To make no provision for the flesh 
to fulfill its lust means that we kill the flesh. And that is a daily decision, a daily death. Casting off the works of darkness is that general statement that we need to take hold of. Whatever activity or attitude, word or deed that belongs to the dark needs to be destroyed before it ever sees the the light of day in our soul. I, I give you a little insight into my life. I, I have a list of sins. There's a journal that I keep, and it has a list of sins that are common to me. I understand them. I know how they work. I know what leads me into them. I'm learning more and more the things that lead me toward those sins. But I have a list of those sins. And every day, before I encounter anyone else, I spend time with God setting those sins aside and destroying them before the day even begins. I'm not saying that I have a batting average of a thousand, but today I'm doing better than I did yesterday. And prayerfully, by God's grace, tomorrow I'll do better than I did today. Because I want to be ready for Christ's return. It's time to wake up out of our moral slumber where we excuse our sinfulness as though it doesn't matter. Friends, this is urgent to God that we kill our sin. Now is the time to kill the sin in our life. Just hold on to that. In a moment, we're going to take some time to kill some sin. The last thing Paul says is that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He refers to it in verse 12 where he says, let's cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In the same language in verse 14, he says, let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. Now is the time It's already here for us to put on Jesus. Now, here's the good news. We have already put on Jesus. God has clothed us in Christ Jesus when we by faith trusted Jesus as our Savior and King, when we repented our sin and gave Jesus our very life, when he took ownership of us, when he took the penalty of our sin upon himself and killed it on a cross and gave us his righteousness. In that moment, we put on the Lord Jesus. And we see in Ephesians and in Colossians, Paul says, you've already put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in Romans 13, he tells us to put on. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a command. It's an imperative, not an indicative. And even though the indicative, the statement of fact is part of our life, we, have, we are in Christ Jesus. That is true. There needs to be a deliberative daily decision to put on Jesus every single day. A daily decision to, um, to immerse ourselves in him. John Flavel, uh, who is a Puritan preacher of many, 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 many hundreds of years ago, John Flavel calls us to study Christ, to immerse ourselves in Jesus so that his character becomes our character. His passion becomes our passion. His desires become our desires. It's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12 when he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice that's putting on the Lord Jesus, where we give ourselves to him, where we commune with him, where we spend time with him, where we intimately evaluate our life in light of who he is, not in light of who everybody else is, where we adjust our attitude, our action, our character, our conduct to match Jesus, not to match some moral code of conduct, but to match the very heart of Jesus where we put on Jesus, where we spend time with him in the mornings and throughout the day, where we spend those intimate moments getting to know him, falling in love with him more and more and more each day. Friends, do you spend time with Jesus? Not just going through a Bible study that somebody else has done and you filling in the blanks. Do you spend time with Jesus allowing him to fill in the blanks of your life, to show you, you, to correct your life, to fix your fears so that they are no longer the conquering force in your life, but rather to fix your faith so that Your fears come undone. Are you spending time with Jesus? In Ephesians chapter 6, we see Paul kind of talking about this, putting on the armor of light, and Romans 13 is similar to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, and put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the day of battle. And having done all to stand, Are you putting on the armor of Jesus? Friends, listen. It's not time to be playing at being a follower of Jesus. It's not time to live in this dozy kind of slumber where, oh, today I didn't do so well with Jesus, no big deal. No, it's, it's high time. It's now time for us to be urgent about living in communion with Jesus. Fixing our heart and our mind on him. Spending time with him through prayer. Through the study of his word. Through singing praise to him. It's time for us to become more like Jesus. Because we put him on each day. 
Growing up as a follower of Jesus, being strong as a soldier of Christ doesn't happen by accident, nor does it happen simply by osmosis. The command in verse 14 teaches us that it takes intentional effort on our part. Are you spending time with Jesus? And if you are, are you doing something about that time that you spent with him? Another fear that I have for the church is, again, going back to this consumerist mentality. We spend time with Jesus, we get a feel good, and then we walk away as if nothing has changed. We spend time with Jesus, we get a word from him, and then we walk away as if that word had no bearing on our daily existence. So often I've studied God's word and I've gotten a good, good uh, uh, solid outline of what the text means and, and I've studied the words of the text and I've, I've written down those words, gotten some insight even with the grammar and the language of the text. I've, I've, I've spent time in prayer and I've got pages of prayers going on and then I close my book and I close my Bible and I close my devotional and I walk out of that room with Jesus and I act as if I spent no time with him at all. And that should never be the case. Can I just say, that's not really spending time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus is allowing him to pierce to the depths of your soul, your attitude, your thoughts, your actions, your words, your deeds, your fears. The things you place your hope in, the things that you trust. It's allowing Jesus to have full room to move in your soul and in your mind. And in your actions. And when you give him full room to move in you, then he will begin to smother sin. It's a beautiful cycle that begins to happen. We wake up in the morning and we say, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I'm going to grow more in love with him today. I'm going to become more intimate with my king because I could see him later on this day face-to-face. And as I spend time with him, he reveals to me the sin that needs to be killed. And I intentionally focus on that sin and the circumstances that surround that sin in my life that, that uh, oh, awakens the lusts of my flesh. And, and, and I kill those sin, and I, and, I, and I ask the Spirit of God to give me direction and help and insight on how to kill that sin. And I, and, and I don't play games with that sin, and I don't put myself in circumstances that Jesus has already revealed will lead me into deeper crisis with that sin. I, I, I want to kill it. I want to destroy it, and I don't want to play with it. And, 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 and all of that happens in my intimate moments with Jesus. And when I spend time confessing that sin and repenting of the sin that I've done and asking Jesus for the help to stand in the face of that sin, and I actually put on the armor of God 
so that I might be able to stand within the day of that temptation, so that I might be able to stand and serve God faithfully, so that I might live as a sacrifice to him, a servant of him, giving myself to him. And I spend time and Jesus begins to coach me and teach me and lead me to see how that I can live for him and love for him, kill sin every day and put him on in the course of my everyday life. I want to take the time to grow closer to Jesus so that I might live in victory every day so that I might love others the way that he has called me to love them so that I might be ready for that moment when he returns. Now is the time. Not tomorrow. Not a week from now. Now is the time. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. The call for us today is to live in this world as if this day were my last day to live on this earth. It's a call to love others the way Jesus has loved me. It's a call to kill my sin. It's a call to put on Jesus. In these next few moments, I just want to encourage you to sit right where you are. Spend time hearing from Jesus. Let the Spirit of God awaken you. Awaken you. To his glory, to his goodness, to his greatness. Awaken you to serve him. Awaken you to live in the victory and in the power that he's given you. Kill the sin that needs to be killed right now. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And give yourself to love others. Now, Spirit of God, speak to your people and call us to live for you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.